time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 167 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA. Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Today we are brewing the absolutely delicious Ethiopian coffee with notes of tea rose and lemon acidity. It's delicious. And where can everybody get their coffee? BantamRoasters.com. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And while you're there, go to the website and use the code FLUFFYBUTT and get 10% off the entire website. It's a great code. Use that code. Okay, so are you ready to sip some of this delicious coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. They're here, new and improved, Grubly's World Harvest. I'm a longtime subscriber and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Grubly Farms makes food and treats for healthy pets and planet. To support us and Grubly's, go to our website or our show notes and use the link. Try it today. Guess what? Chick Day season is officially here. Our friends at Neutrina have something to help your chicks grow into healthy, happy, egg-laying hens. NatureWise Chick Starter Grower. It's premium, natural, and you should check it out at NeutrinaWorld.com. Okay, so how are you doing today? Pretty well, yourself? Hanging in there. I felt like January lasted for like 12 months. It was the January that took forever. Yeah. I feel like most months go by pretty quickly, but January is one of those ones. And this year was really bad because, as we all know, the DiCarlo house has been the sick house. So the whole month of January, we took turns all being sick and it lasted forever. But I'm glad to be in February now. Yeah, February is closer to March. March is spring. So it's good. It's okay. Oh, yeah. So what's going on over there? Anything new? We're starting to order materials to build the Goose Run. Alert, alert, the goose run. Oh, well, if we remember correctly, that was your New Year's resolution. Yeah. Even though you knew you ordered some goslings. (laughs) I'm I'm right on it. Look at me. Look at me breaking out my resolution. Look at me. You're making it work. You're making it (laughs) work. Making it work. That's right. We still have to find out exactly when our chicks are coming because we don't know yet. I know. McMurray's been going live on Monday. Ginger's been going live and showing the big incubators and the chicks coming out for shipping, you know, right there in the hatchery, which has been great fun. I've loved jumping on there to watch those. She was showing Dorkings the other day and I was so excited. You're like, ah, there's my Dorkings. My Dorkings. Yes. With the five toes. And you know what? Next week. No. Yeah. Is next week Valentine's Day? Yes, it is. (laughs) Wow. Yep. That came quick. Yes. Honey, you can give me 100,000 hours of chicken chores for Valentine's Day. That's so romantic. (laughs) Very romantic. He would say, no and no, I'll buy you more diamonds instead. (laughs) 
altogether, that might be less work if you, you know, you break down the whole money time thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, on that note, if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review or typed. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. Two things. You never miss an episode. It gets dropped right in there for you. And the second is they count those subscriptions. So it really does help us out a lot. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can tell a few chicken-loving friends about the show. About 5 million. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can check out our Etsy shop, t-shirts, mugs, tiny chickens. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash Buffy with the Chicken Ladies. Welcome to all of our newest patrons. What an awesome group we have over there. I love those ladies. Uh Uh-huh. And gents. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our website and our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love those amazingly good smelling nest box herbs and that giant roll of rooster stickers. They're great. I love the wood decorative plate. It's going up in our studio today. And with all my baking, those egg separators are going to work awesomely. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. It's time for the Breed Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was we're out of January Breed Spotlight. Like a little upbeat. Like, let's go. Let's do this. Okay, this week's breed spotlight is... The Mechlin Turkey Head. And raise your hand if you have actually heard of this chicken. Molly Ann raised hers. <laughs> I've heard of this chicken. <laughs> she was right there. If you could see it. Oh, you know, just a little note to listeners. We're both still a little... Holly's not feeling well, and we're both a little under the weather. So you're getting us via Zoom this week again. This morning, Pete was saying that we are now coughing with the chicken ladies. 
We are coughing with the chicken ladies coughing at this point. I can't yeah. lose the cough, and now you've got the cough. I do. So, I don't think I got it from you, honestly. I think I picked it up at the dentist's office. You can get it anywhere. I just hope it wasn't for me. I doubt it. So here we are, little horse, but we're here. <laughs> little chicken scratched. Little chicken scratchy. And we're talking about the Mechelen turkey head. This is a very interesting European breed. But first, we want to do a quick primer on names, just because this can get confusing. Okay. There is a breed called the Mechelen Cuckoo. That is the Belgian name for the Malines. And we spotlight the Malines back in episode 87. Yes, we do. So the Malines and the Mechelen Cuckoo are the same bird. That's just the Belgian name and the French name for them. Right. You'll hear this week's guest mention the Mechelen Cuckoos. Again, Malines. Mechelen Turkey Heads are actually a breed that has the Malines as a foundation breed. And they're called turkey heads because they have a pronounced dewlap, small ridged comb, it's a triple comb, and droopy earlobes, kind of like a turkey. I mean, you would think that they are going to look like a turkey with the name turkey head. They still look like chickens. No, they look like chickens, but that they will have some, you know, same qualities that are the same. A couple things. So Mechelen is a city in Flanders, which is the Flemish region of Belgium. I believe it's in north of Belgium. It is a very old city. It was once known for its lace-making trade. Oh, nice. Still renowned for its very long-running vegetable market and farmer's market. Oh, my God. I need to go. Oh, it's beautiful, Chris. It's a tourist destination as well as an agricultural area. And there's lots of brewing in the area as well. Why am I not there? I don't know. Because you're in your studio looking at me. (laughs) Now, this was really cool. I just found this by accident. If you travel to nearby Antwerp, you can visit the River Garden Park there, the Revierenhof. You can visit that when you're in Antwerp. And in the park, there's this very pretty brick pavilion that has been outfitted with nice poultry runs. And they house a selection of rare poultry there, including the beautiful Campine and the Mechelen Turkey Head. Nice. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that. I like that. That reminds me of a park around here that does that. They have their own chicken runs and everything, and they have the chickens, and they draw a lot of people and a lot of interest. Yeah, yeah. I love that they have the rare poultry there. I was really surprised to see the campaign as well as the turkey head. It's hard to find a lot of history on the Mechlin turkey head because they're so often just lumped under the Maylene's as sort of another variety. Okay. The turkey heads look a lot like the Maylene's as well, and that adds to the confusion. They do. If you look them up, they look just like the Maylene's. They were developed in the 19th century to be a heavier version of the Maylene's for the table market. And to do this, breeders crossed the Maylene's with the Bruges fighter, which is a large, heavy Belgian game bird. Wow. The Bruges fighters tend to vary in appearance. They have some of that Barbara Melanastic... DNA, so they have the dark skin. They can really vary in appearance. So we can see that the cuckoo pattern of the turkey heads came from the Maylene. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so with adding that bird in to them, the game bird, it really did change their size. They are in the large bodied bird category. I now, think you call them heavyweight, super heavyweight. In the heavyweight championship. <laughs> so 
you know, like you don't hear us say that a ton. You just hear us normally say medium to large, medium to large or small to medium. But we're talking large here. These birds are large. The Maylene is a big bird. They put the Bruges fighter in and the Mecklen turkey head is a really large bird. Yeah. So let's look at these numbers because the roosters are weighing in, weighing in in this end of the ring. The roosters at 13 plus pounds. That's a big boy. That's a big boy. Now on the other side of the ring, weighing in at nine plus pounds, we have the hens. Those are large. A nine pound hen, that's a big girl. Big girl. I think that my money's on the hens. (laughs) Oh, no. This is back to the day. Are we ready to rumble? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my money's on the hens. So they're coming in a cuckoo pattern only, which isn't a big surprise because that's a pretty dominant trait. I mean, you're going to have that. Boring, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the boring is really, it's a strong trait. Yeah. And besides their large size and those beautiful stripes, their most notable features, it's that unusual triple comb and their dewlap. Now, if you're walking on the streets and, you know, you have a triple comb and a dewlap, and feathered legs and feet. Man, you're going to be looking srico suave. You might have a Mecklen turkey head coming at you, baby. <laughs> you might. I mean, they walk down the street. They're like, we got a comb like no other. I think that it sounds more exciting than it is, this triple comb. In reality, it, they kind of looks like a pea comb almost. It does. It does look like a pea comb. It's not really tall. At first, I was thinking it would be something like the Sicilian buttercup. Right. But it's not It's not super tall. It's a smaller comb, which you would expect to come from the Bruges fighter because the game birds have smaller combs and waddles. Exactly, to protect themselves. So, you know, the dewlap gives them their unique look too, like a turkey, but also a dewlap were the Toulouse goose. The Toulouse goose has... The dewlap. They have the champion dewlap. They really do. I mean, it just sounds like we need to meet everybody in the ring. It's like, and bring your dewlap and your <laughs> triple crown, <laughs> your triple Turkey's crown. Over here, piece over here, turkey-headed chickens. <laughs> now, if you get a chicken that's already large and you add feathers on the legs and the feet, they're going to look even bigger. They're one beautiful chicken. They're very pretty and they're big and they're fluffy. And they look like a giant cuckoo Brahma to me. Yeah. So let's go into the next where everybody's waiting, like on the edge of their seat to hear how this part goes. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. So the hens are respectable layers of medium to large cream or tan colored eggs. They're going to give you around 150 eggs per year and they don't really go broody. So if they don't go broody with that 150 egg number the chances are you're going to be right around 150 like when we're talking about 150 for an animal a chicken that goes broody we could have higher numbers if they don't go broody right speaking of broody i had to pitch cupcake the barnavelder out of the box this morning she was arranging eggs oh boy i said no 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 honey out you go (laughs) yeah so if you have a hen and they rarely go broody and the number sitting at 150 eggs per year it's probably what you're gonna get yeah, that's probably fairly. It's accurate. respectable. It's respectable. It is. I think it's respectable. The <clears> Mecklen <throat> turkey heads are sweet and placid birds. They would be an excellent addition to a laid-back flock. They're a good breed for a homestead, especially with kids. 
where you're wanting gentle dual purpose birds and they're a great addition to a permaculture system. Oh yeah. Like most chickens, they're going to do well. They're very friendly. They're very food motivated. And with that big body mass, the feathered legs, the small comb, and the virtually non-existent waddles, they are pretty cold hardy. I mean, with their weight, everything, you can see that this is a bird that's going to do well in a cold weather climate, which a lot of people, that's the big talk right now is, you know, which birds go into which climate and this and that. And, you know, with provisions that we can set out for them, really... Most people can have the birds they want if they, you know, make provisions for them in the different weather climates. I feel like it doesn't even matter that much anymore because the climate is so messed up. I agree. It doesn't. But this bird, more than any that we've talked about, is equipped for cold weather. I mean, if there is one, this is the bird. They sure are. They really are. Now, The converse of that, of course, is that they don't do so well in hot weather. They'll probably need fans. They don't have a big comb and waddle to let off the heat. Yep. And they have a huge body mass. So they really need shade, cool dirt, pans of water to stand in, all of that kind of thing. Lots of electrolytes. The Mecklen turkey head is not an APA accepted breed. And I could not find a breed standard anywhere. But breeders note that if you are looking to start breeding yourself, What you want to concentrate on is producing large, very hardy birds with essentially no waddles and the full feathers down the legs and feet, both legs and feet. The traits are pretty standout-ish, you know, so you know what you need. So if you have a floppy comb on your Mecklen turkey head, you got a problem. There should be no flop on that comb. (laughs) There should be no flop on that comb, okay? So, you know, the, the standards are pretty straightforward with this bird. So here's the big question. That we ask, where do we find the turkey head? Well, as luck may have it, Great Fire Farm imported the Mecklen turkey head in 2021, and they are available as straight run chicks or hatching eggs. Our friends over at Green Fire, they're fulfilling all of our chicken dreams over there with these ultra rare breeds. Seriously. So, Green Fire Farms. The Green Fire Farm girls have had really nice things to say about this breed, how friendly they are. I really like them. I would put this bird in my laid back flock without a second guess. Of course you would. Of course I would. <laughs> of course I would. Now here's the part where I say, do you have yourself a turkey head? If you have yourself a turkey head. I've got a lap. <laughs> I got a triple crown. Send us your pictures of your turkey heads. I'm like, no joke. Send them over on Insta. Mention us in your story, hit that little mention button, and we will reshare. We want to see these pictures. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. They're back with an innovative new product. You're going to want to check this out. It's an extra large set, a 14-pound feeder and three-gallon water with steep anti-roost lids. They're made of super durable material. You can either stand them on legs or hang them on brackets on your coop or fence. They're easy to remove and clean too. Plus, they look awesome. 
We personally use Roosties and we're huge fans. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, check out the Roosty store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. It's official. Chick day season is here. We love it. Now folks in the South get a head start with the warmer weather, but no matter where you are, you're excited to bring home new chicks. That's why we're excited to share NatureWise Chick Starter Grower from our friends at Neutrina. It's a premium natural feed with everything your chicks need to grow into healthy and happy hens that lay more eggs with stronger shells. Get yours at NeutrinaWorld.com. Okay, so it's time to move on to main topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today's guest is Lisa Manixma. Lisa is a freelance writer and project manager. She is the host of Hobby Farms Presents Growing Good Podcast and former editor of Hobby Farms Magazine. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey, Lisa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me with you today. It is our pleasure. Welcome. Welcome to the table. We're going to start this interview off by asking you a bit about yourself. What's your background? And how did you get involved in agriculture? Sure. I grew up in New Jersey. And this is not, I mean, it's called the Garden State, but it's not the place that people think of first, you know, when they think about farming. But I did grow up in the pretty part of New Jersey, the um, Northwest New Jersey. And my dad's family were dairy farmers and my uncle had horses. But my my family, like my mom and dad, not farmers, not really outdoorsy people. And I don't know if it was, you know, the like, the just like the childhood rebelliousness or what that but like I was just determined to be outdoors and spend as much time as possible outside even just like you know in our in our yard so I became obsessed with horses as a teenager and I haven't really grown out of that although uh, (laughs) my focus has shifted some from horses to food farming and livestock but I was really involved in ag classes in FFA in high school And that led me to get a degree in animal science. And it was a little bit of a, I don't know, looking back, I'm like, was that the best idea? And I mean, it's (laughs) fine. But, (laughs) you know, I guess it, it beats, I went ahead and got a degree in animal science because I knew that I wanted to work in communications of some kind for the horse industry or agriculture. And my ag teachers in high school, my FFA advisors, encouraged me to go learn about the thing I wanted to write about. They said, you already know how to write, which I mean, I don't know, that's kind of a heck of a thing to tell a 17 year old. Like I really had no idea like how to actually (laughs) do the thing. But uh, so they said, go learn about the thing you wanted to write about. And so like, that was good. But you know, about halfway through my junior year, I was studying for a livestock nutrition exam and I am not a math person. Like, don't give me math. It's, it's not possible. Me either. I can't stand it. (laughs) You are in good company here. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I'm like, you know, working through these nutrition program, like problems of like this chicken needs how much protein and so much, whatever else. And I'm like, I just, I don't, there's a bunch of numbers on this page and I just don't know. And I kind of like, I don't know, had like a, college life crisis. But at this point, I'm like halfway through my junior year, I had to just push through it. So ended up with a degree in animal science, and then graduated looking for communications jobs. So it wasn't it wasn't great, but um, managed to do it. So I got I had a number of jobs in the horse industry, uh, working for a marketing agency and nonprofits and as a freelance writer. And then I was 
freelancing, I lived on a farm in Indiana and my horse was there and my dog and we had a bunch of cats and I was outside and a crop duster plane flew over the house. And so we lived in sort of middle of nowhere, north central Indiana, and we were at a crossroads of a very small paved road, like, you know, it was like a, not even a full two lanes, and a gravel road, and pretty much just surrounded by like corn and soybean fields. And so this crop duster comes over the property and sprays the fields that's just on the other side of the paved road. And I'm standing out there watching this happen. And I was like, isn't this interesting? Here I am living in this place where there's food being grown all around me. And like, this is just fascinating. I wonder what was in that plane. And I went inside <laughs> and I started um, researching. And then I was like, oh, so I live here and they're spraying chemicals there. And like, I was outside, my animals were outside. Like, do people know this is happening? And, you know, like the way very naively we get into these, like, certainly no one knows about this. I have to do something. No, everybody knows about it. And so this is just the way it works. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that was the moment that I sort of shifted from being a horse person to being um, a, I don't know, food farm, livestock I, farm. I feel like back in the day when we were all younger, that would happen a lot more. You would see uh, like in our neighborhoods, Holly, and you remember like the mosquito sprays and you heard the, the, the car coming, the truck coming down the road and spraying everybody's like, shut the windows, they're spraying. <laughs> yeah, and, there was literally, there, there was literally a pickup truck with a spray apparatus yes. on the back that would drive through the neighborhood spraying for mosquitoes and we were on the water. Yeah, uh -huh. it's going to be mosquitoes. <laughs> and we were always like, we would run in, shut the windows, like, you know, and then you think to yourself, what, what is in that spray? And, you know, that's kind of part of the reason why we all start, you know, with chickens and everything else is to, you know, really curate an animal and give all of our love to get this fantastic egg back, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we do it. Right, right, right. And and so that's it. That's That was the moment that like kind of tipped me over into like, oh, I've got to take some responsibility for where my food is coming from because these people don't have my best interests <laughs> at heart here. And so since then, you know, I, I started writing about food and farming. Turns out I became the editor of Hobby Farms magazine. And then when I left that work, that was because when you're editing a farming magazine or a series, a number of farming magazines, it wasn't just hobby farms that we had in that portfolio, you don't actually get to farm. Like you get to sit behind a desk and be a magazine editor. And uh, that was important to me, but also so was the farming part. So I left yeah. to go work on farms. And so since then, I've had experience on farms all over the US, in Puerto Rico, in Europe, in Turkey. And nice. Yeah, and I now live on a small farm in Kentucky. What was your favorite, if you could just throw one out, what was your favorite of all those countries? What was the best thing you saw while you were over there doing all those things? Um, well, the favorite, my favorite and the best thing, I feel like are two different things. Um, okay. So I'll go, I'll go with my favorite was Turkey. It was just such a fascinating place. And I was there in 2011. So I feel like it was a different place than it is right now in mm -hmm. Turkey. And I was in sort of central Turkey and western Turkey. Uh, and then I spent some time in Istanbul as well. Wow. But it was just, yeah, it was just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. And people were really just very generous and, you know, fascinated by 
here is this woman traveling by herself with a big backpack. Um, <laughs> is is a, a farm? Is a um, farming very different in Turkey versus the U.S.? Well, you know, I didn't have. I can't say I was able to totally get into farming culture. I was on two different farms, and they were they called themselves eco villages. And here again, so the word eco village is not a regulated term, right? So um, what I might think of as an eco village and what they might describe as an eco villager, perhaps perhaps divergent. So what I did see was a lot of, I mean, kind of homesteadings, you know. Mm. situations and very small scale farming in the areas where I was. And it, it was very livestock heavy. You know, Turkey is, it's a Mediterranean climate. And the areas that I saw were pretty arid a lot of the year and kind of topographically, I don't, that's probably not the right word, but rough land, you know, not mm-hmm. like, not not hundreds of acres of tillable of tillable land, especially in the areas where I was. I feel like Eastern Turkey might be a little bit different. So what was your best experience then? Best experience, best experience would have been uh, on a farm in Oregon. And I had intended to stay for two weeks and I ended up staying for six. And, nice. Um, and yeah, and still am friends with with the folks from that place and actually might get to see them this summer. Great. And, and yeah, what I loved about that place was just every day, I just learned so much and something new. Yeah. So that was probably. probably Isn't it funny? You travel all these different places around the world, Europe, every place, and then to come back and the U.S. place of the U.S. (laughs) is the best, right? Right. Well, yeah. And I. Did they have chickens? They did. And in (laughs) fact, so I used to not eat eggs. Like I I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't like eggs at all. And then, and it was on this farm where they had chickens and uh, everyone was just eating eggs like all the time, like with, with whatever, with for breakfast, for lunch. And then, and so we sort of did breakfast and lunch on our own and then dinner, so one person would make dinner and we would all get to, to share in the dinner. And so lunchtime one day, I was just like, I need to eat a fried egg and tomato sandwich. And that like changed my life. And that was it. <laughs> like I, I, between that and the whole crop duster experience, like I wish I knew the exact dates of both of those things because they were like turning points in my life, pre-eggs and post-eggs. Like they, it was like, oh, this is what eggs are supposed to taste like. And so, so yes, they did have chickens there and the flock was certified organic. And so I learned all kinds of things about how to what it meant to keep a certified organic flock versus not certified organic and and uh, everything that went into that. It's hard to go back from that part. You know, like if so, if you want to go back and, and like grocery store after you've had that is like, yeah. ah, no, it's not a thing. It's- yeah, <laughs> it really isn't. I wanted to circle back to your childhood growing up in New Jersey because I'm really mm-hmm. curious about this. Are mm-hmm. New Jersey strawberries as amazing as everyone says? Well, see, back then... I think we probably just ate strawberries from the grocery store like everybody else. Like, you know, I didn't I didn't care then like the way yeah. I do now. Now I would be like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe actually maybe we need to go find out, Holly. Like, <laughs> let's like- do it. <laughs> let's do it. Road trip. Road trip with Lisa. We're going to New Jersey. Let's do this. Road trip. I, if you're going on a road trip with us, Lisa, just buckle up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> buckle up and enjoy the ride. Let's do it. Right. I relinquish all control. <laughs> that Yeah. You never know where you're going to end up. But you will have a good time. <laughs> you know, it's like when you think back, 
you know, when growing up in the 80s, our parents were the boomers. They did things differently than we do now. You know, right. we were brought up with convenience being number one. The microwave was introduced. All these different things. Convenience was number one. And that's how we were brought up. Then, you know, kind of, I feel like generational, like we wanted things to slow down. So I'm kind of like anxious to see how my kids are going to turn out. Are they going to be yeah. like, I want a hot pocket in the microwave and that's all I'm going to eat, you know? So <laughs> I don't know. Your younger daughter, though, is a budding baker. So oh, I really yeah. feel like she's she takes, I think, more interest in her food. And I, I feel like we'll see some great things from her. And Sophia, she's going to be eating the Hot Pockets. She does now, for sure. We love well, you, honey, but you're a Hot Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> there is hope for her, though, because when I was Sophia's age, I was also eating Hot Pockets. <laughs> now, like, you will not catch me with a Hot Pocket. Like, it's yeah. not. I don't know. I can't tell you the last time I had you know, even fast food. It's not, it's just not part of my lifestyle anymore because I learned about food and where it comes from. You know, I had to have that reckoning. And it doesn't, once you're used to eating just fresh and amazing, nutritionally dense food, you just, you don't even want to touch that fast food. It just doesn't look good. Right. Right. With the exception of French fries, because French fries always look good to me. Always. I know. They are good. Really good. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the podcast because you have just really amazing guests. This is Hobby Farms Presents Growing Good, where you spend a lot of time talking to a range of unique people around the agriculture world. How did the podcast come about? What what was your inspiration? Sure. Well, so like you said in the beginning, um, I was the editor of Hobby Farms Magazine and left that work in 2011 and but you know stayed on as a freelance writer and would work with them on various projects throughout the years and so it was i guess it's been 3 years now that hobby farms they're part of a larger publishing sort of conglomerate and they were asked to start a, a podcast and so the editors came to me and said hey we got to start this podcast maybe you want to help us with it and i was like obviously i'm going to help you with this podcast but you know it's not like I had any podcast experience before this. I had been a guest on a number of like a handful of radio shows and podcasts for various work that I had done in the food system over the years, but it's not like I knew what I was doing. So, um, <laughs> so they kind of took a chance on me. I took a chance on this project and, you know, we knew we had a good working relationship at least. And then, and then we were all kind of new to this. So when they proposed this podcast, they said they wanted it to be about farming obviously, because it's Hobby Farms Magazine, but I could kind of take it in whatever direction I wanted to take it in. And I saw this as a really interesting opportunity to kind of pass the mic and get the perspective from voices that we don't always hear in small-scale farming and in land stewardship. So I set out wanting to talk with people doing really good work in advancing the food system who are also farming, gardening, somehow stewarding the land. And so, you know, it's been over the past three years, of, I think a great mix of writers, educators, people working in farmers market settings, folks doing anti-racism initiatives, gleaning and food recovery. Yeah. So I'm trying to, I think, bring in the perspective of all of these issues sort of orbiting around the food system and how they fit into our lives as small-scale farmers and people who, who just care about food. It's almost like 
it brings everybody together, you know, your chicken farmers, your gardeners, your herbal, your orchard gardeners, everybody together in one place. And let's compare some notes and let's see what's what's going on. Yeah. So even after three years of having this podcast, there's still so many areas that I haven't explored so many people that I want to talk to. It's just exciting to me that there are so many people doing work toward a better food system that, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this this podcast could go on for years and, well, it already has, but for another three years and it, I still just wouldn't have scratched the surface of farmers and land stewards who are, who are doing work for sort of the greater good. Yeah, it's kind of how we feel about ours too. It's mm-hmm. like, there's so much you're just touching on and- there's that word. I have to use that in every show. I feel like touching. <laughs> She's always touching someone. I'm always. I'm always. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, you just scratch the surface. We've been out there three years, too. And and there's just so many people that would be nice to speak with. It's great people like you that we meet that makes this all worthwhile. And what you're doing and, and trying to help, you know, everyone have healthier food options out there. Now, what are the trends that you're seeing in farming and or like the poultry keeping world right now? Well, I think sort of overall in not so much farming, I guess, as like ho- well, hobby farming, homesteading kind of and and in poultry keeping is is this sort of people looking for an easier way and not like a way out, but like how can we do all the things like our lives are so busy and just the idea of using technology to better keep our chickens, I guess, um, <laughs> to, to make, to make it easier to keep chickens, you know, um, the automatic door opening and closing mechanisms, like automatic feeders and heated waterers and things like that technology that allows us to be able to have chickens, but also have these other busy parts of our lives that don't allow us to be at home all the time, the way, you know, we were back when everyone had chickens. I think that's a that's a big trend. I think sort of climbing out of the pandemic, a trend in the very early days was, you know, that everyone had to have chickens and they had to have them right now. And we, I, I was working a farm that had a pretty big CSA and including an egg CSA and a meat CSA. And so we got calls, I mean, every day, people looking for chickens. And I called it like, Pretty early on, I was like, you know what, in six months, we're going to start getting the calls of these people looking to offload these chickens. And that was exactly what happened. And I thought that was really interesting that people were like, oh, this is <laughs> this is not just fun. Like, this, this is a whole thing, which maybe is how this now like sort of chicken keeping technology trend has been ramping up because the folks who got chickens because they thought that was the thing to do during COVID are like, there's got to be an easier way to do it. And so, you know, here they are looking for that easier way. Some of what you're describing is some of the reasons that we did start the podcast. We were seeing mm-hmm. people who wanted to get chickens. You know, they wanted some self-sufficiency. They wanted some food security. They wanted to get chickens. But they didn't know very simple things like your spring pullets are not going to lay until the late fall. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah. a problem when you have, you know, something that is a trend you know and then and it's a problem when you have a trend and the trend's an animal you have to understand there's all the ads out there this isn't an easter gift this isn't a christmas gift this is a live being and you know you have to follow through with everything but you know with our experience and everything that's why we were like we have something to offer everybody we can help 
and help with the caring. And I'd like to see people who started in COVID still having chickens. I really like that yeah. because the more people that have chickens and, and take care of them, the better, you know? So I, I like to see the trend of all of the, the people that got chickens in COVID times, just loving it and, oh, and yeah, embracing sure. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcasting is not easy. It sounds easy when you just listen to this finished product, but podcasting is not easy. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. It is a lot of work, but I will say, and please tell us if you feel the same way, one of the most exciting things about it is just the people you get to talk to. Just people you would not oh, totally. intersect with any other way, and you just end up with these kind of magical introductions with amazing folks. Oh, no, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I've while while the Hobby Farms Presents Growing Good podcast is not chicken-centric, I've talked to plenty of people who are keeping chickens and doing really interesting things, even like specifically with chickens. There's an episode early on, uh, I spoke with someone named Celise Christie, who has uh, all kinds of international poultry experience and wow. working with like holistic medicine in other places. I just thought that one, that episode was so interesting. And also how people I meet through the podcast have led to other opportunities. I mean, I talked with a farmer in New York, Missy Singer Dumars, and she has an egg CSA. And so then we were able to talk again and have an article in Chickens Magazine about how to start an egg CSA. And so it's just, it's been cool to see also like, yes, I get to meet all these really interesting people. And then like, what does that lead to? Yeah, it's been, it's been really neat. And get to see how they're actually changing the world that we live in. Every single person has a footprint on this world. Every single person can change the world in some small way and make it for the better. And I feel like people who really care and love chickens, you're doing that. You're really changing this world for the better each and every little chicken at a time. And it's it shows you're caring. It shows you're you have responsibility in what you're doing and that you do care about the environment and eating mm -hmm. fresh foods and things that don't have pesticides or chemicals or anything else on them. Oh yeah. There's so much to be said for taking control of even a tiny piece of your food footprint. And yeah. And you know, if you're able to keep your own chickens and, and have your own eggs, then that's fewer chickens and eggs that need to be kept in an industrial less ideal setting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's true. So Chickens Magazine, in case we have any listeners who have not come across Chickens Magazine, it's a great resource. So for some of our new listeners, can you just tell them a little bit about Chickens Magazine, how many times a year it's published? Sure. Chickens Magazine is published by the same publishers who do Hobby Farms Magazine, and it is it comes out every other month. And there's also... I don't know that Chickens actually has its own separate website, but hobbyfarms.com has the chickens content as well. And they, you know, it, it focuses on a kind of exactly what you all cover in, in your great podcast, the healthcare, different breeds, what do we do with all these eggs, profiles of, of interesting chicken keepers. Uh, yeah, it has, it has become a really good resource. Chickens started as just an annual publication for Hobby Farms. It was just like, you know, like a once a year as the interest in keeping chickens has grown, so did the magazine. Somewhere I have a couple of those old annual issues because I would buy it when it came out back in the day. 
yeah. back in the day when there wasn't, I mean, like, it, it was great. They're like, come on. And now, you know, the need for it to be more than once a year is there, and it is. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. The first time we chatted with you, you told us that you were farm sitting. And we got into a conversation about this. And we've all recognized that there is a very real need for people to offer this service. Some mm. of us farmer types are desperate to get away, sometimes for business trips, sometimes just, you know, a personal a vacation. What have you found in your time offering this service to farmers? Oh, that exactly what you're saying, that people are like, oh my goodness, you you can come here and take care of this farm. Like, is this is this a thing? Is this for real? Because yeah, because my goodness, it is it is just so much work. And <laughs> to, to have yeah. animals, um, to have animals of any kind, you know? So I guess I currently I currently am animal-less, and that is hard, but also um, it's been intentional, and it's because I know that at, in this moment, I am not able to just dedicate my full self to this farm and animals, and having a 3,000-square-foot garden is plenty, thank you. And, <laughs> and then I am able to use house-sitting and farm-sitting to get my animal fix elsewhere, and then I feel less of the need to, to do so, you know, to have that here myself. So I guess I've been farm-sitting really since when I you know, back when I was a horse person and I was taking care of people's horse farms. And, you know, sometimes it was like, here are two horses in the backyard. And then as I got to know people, I remember, I mean, my goodness, I was still only like, I bet it was only 19. And it was like, here, the farm managers are going away. And here's this barn of like 30 horses of like, you know, wow. people people pay money to board their horses at this farm. And, you know, plus like there was also like a, a, a horse rescue that was run out of that barn and, and then like all the lesson horses. And it was like, here you go. I don't know. Like, what was I doing? It was, <laughs> I was 19 years old. Here's this farm. And it mostly went fine. There was actually an emergency one time, but it didn't involve any of our horses. It involved a horse that someone was riding, like trail riding, like up on the mountain behind the farm and someone fell and the horse got loose. It was terrible. Oh um, man. But, and that was just a freak thing that had nothing to do with our farm, but, you know, the farm that I was taking care of, but could almost, I can almost guarantee that some freak thing is going to happen while I am staying at someone else's place. Like the pigs are going to get out, like the fence is going to fail. You know, there's, there, someone's duck died once. It was terrible. Oh, it's oh, awful. It was terrible. Dog, like, you know cuts its shoulder really bad like my goodness can we all just keep it together for like three days that's all we need that has, <laughs> got, to, that has got to be so nerve-wracking do you have a favorite of all the critters you've taken care of do you have a favorite farm animal type to care for i mean probably horses just like just because they're so in my heart but i don't know right now i mean actually currently uh I am house sitting for folks who have a dog and six cats and that feels a little bit chaotic but also it's like this is a uh it's really good for me because it's also a manner of just needing to like like i said going on this road trip with you all i will relinquish control like i have to relinquish <laughs> control let's go let's go baby <laughs> have to relinquish control when you have six cats and a dog running the house like okay like i'm just i'm just here to feed you and pick up the things that you've not really feel the floor I feel like there needs to be like an online directory for farm sitting. There is one for, you know, 
dogs and cats, but sometimes right. farm sitting is a little bit of a different beast because it it's totally not is. just walking a dog and feeding them or feeding a cat. It's, you know, putting the chickens in and out every night, collecting the eggs and putting the food out and putting the food in. And what happens if this doesn't go right? Or And, and sometimes it's hard. I'm really lucky that I found someone uh, that, you know, five or six years ago that is amazing. But explaining to the house sitter like okay there's also 20 something chickens it's like <laughs> what <laughs> what did you say <laughs> right, you're a hot right. commodity you're a hot yeah. commodity if you want to if you're good with all of that you are a hot commodity and it's you know because just because you have farm animals doesn't mean you don't want to ever travel you know Absolutely. and that's the kind of thing that people talk about all the time and we see online you know just leave them and do the automatic door well sometimes if that doesn't work you need you need a person coming around and making sure people are getting in and out of the coops and that the food and water is there i i could not leave my chickens un, unattended that long I mean, I'd be afraid. What if a water fell over and they were out of water? What? Right. What if, I mean, there could be any number of things. I want eyes on my chickens at least twice a day. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I and I think that's this is the issue, though, right? Like farmers are farming, so they're not able then to go take care of someone else's farm. Right. And, exactly. And, and so that's been a really interesting thing since I kind of intentionally stepped away from a like. I mean, like I said, what I have here is there's plenty going on. But since I've stepped away from like larger scale and particularly animals, it's really it's so rewarding for me to get to hang out with other people's animals and get to experience like, you know, rural properties all over the place. And then it's also just really nice that I know it is such a gift to the farmers who are able Mm -hmm. to say like, thank goodness, even if you could just get a weekend away. That's just like that's so huge. It's so important for you know, our mental health for preventing burnout. Like, yeah, I tend to work myself into burnout pretty quickly. So, and I recognize that in, in other people. I'll put um, this out there. If someone, if you're looking for farm sitters, a good place to look is look into people who are in animal careers already, because we know they love animals, right? And another really good resource is to look for what like people, like what I used to do, a veterinary technician, they take care of animals every day. And a lot of people in that profession are young and looking for extra money. And you know they have the ability to take care of animals. If you take your animals to the vets, ask the techs that work there. Do you house sit? That is a good good place to start because those people you know love animals and they're going to do a good job usually. Yeah, that's a great point, um, asking, asking vet techs. Also, just like farm workers, you know, that folks who are who are already working for like your local CSA farm or whatever who are not like not the ones not the folks in charge because they're the ones looking for the house sitter for the farm sitter but you know like right uh, yeah yeah and I don't know I mean I know like college students get a bad rap but (laughs) uh, for not being as reliable as they could be but that's when I started farm sitting was in college like you know if you're around someplace that has an animal science program it's a good point like you know horticulture you know oh yeah yeah I mean because if you and Holly Ann and I are always we're the same mind of this that we pay for 
the work that you're going to do. We pay very well for oh, yeah. our for our farm setters because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we want you to want to come back and work for us and and not feel underappreciated, not feel like, oh my God, I'm doing all this for this. We want you to feel like, wow, I'm getting paid a good amount, you know, for what I'm doing and, and feel appreciated. So, you know, that's the other thing. That's another good point is if you have a farm sitter that you really like, pay well because oh, yeah. they will work, oh, yeah. you know, really well for you. And, you know, they'll feel appreciated like they should. You know, because it, it is hard. It's hard to travel with animals, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Right. Right. So we're <laughs> going to ask you another question, and it is any upcoming plans or projects that you're working on? Sure. Well, this is this is an interesting moment that we are getting to have this conversation because I just wrapped up writing a book. I'm a ghost like part of my writing. I have writing writing encompasses many things, right? So I'm I ghostwrite books. And so nice. yeah. So when you two become uber famous and simply cannot <laughs> be bothered to write a book, uh <laughs> we will write a book and put your name on it and no one will know that <laughs> that I had anything to do with it. So I just finished my third book and uh nice. that's been that was really cool. So there is I have a a a smaller copywriting project I'm working on right now, not farm related. I am looking forward to focusing some more time on my creative nonfiction work. This is a newer project for me that I've been for about three years. Boy, a lot a lot of things happened three years ago, didn't it? Um, <laughs> the podcast, my podcast started three years ago, this creative nonfiction stuff about three years ago. Um, we're right uh, there with you, Lisa. We're right there with you. <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, I got a grant from the Kentucky Foundation for women to pursue creative nonfiction writing, to write about food farming in the outdoors from a feminist perspective. And so it's been really fun and uh, really challenging. Love that so much. Uh -huh. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about like what your research or, or what anything about it really? Tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, I don't know. Research, there's not I mean, my life is the research, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it has sort of turned into a series of nature based essays. It's sort of like nature as metaphor. And what is what are our gardens and just the outdoors teaching us about our own lives? So the first essay that I had published was just this past fall. And it was in uh, you might be familiar with the magazine Orion. And uh, so this was not actually in the magazine. It was on the website, but I'm still okay. really pleased that it got Orion's attention. It's about passion flowers and the and passion fruits and that they grow wilds here on this place where I live in Kentucky, but that I was introduced to them when I was traveling in Puerto Rico. And so it's all about passion fruit sort of as this portal between my life here and my life there. And, nice. Um, yeah. And that was a really, that's, I, I really like that essay and um, AI and it was the first one that was published. So that's, that's the sort of idea behind this. And it's hard for me to focus a lot of attention on this creative nonfiction work because I am a freelancer and it is not super lucrative. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately when I'm, you know, eyeball deep in writing a book for someone else, it's hard for me to then like take myself out of that place and put myself into this other creative place to, to work on something that I'm just sort of doing more for myself than, than for any other reason. So yeah, so that's something I'm looking forward to coming up and also hoping to be in Alaska farming this summer. That's wow. Yeah. That's sort of big upcoming plan. That's and, big. 
Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So, Hey, I don't know, maybe you have some listeners in Alaska who are needing a house. We do. Um, we do <laughs> probably. <laughs> they can, they can holler because um, I'm currently, currently formulating Alaska plans for the summer. Wait, so we're coming with you after we go check out Jersey strawberries, right? Absolutely. So- <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I really it's be so much fun. I know that Alaska has peony farms because their weather is different. So they can farm peonies later in the year than the rest of us do, which is fascinating enough right there. But I want to know what they do with their poultry up there. Right. When it's so cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll find out for you. The garages are full. (laughs) (laughs) The chickens are like, get me in. It's Alaska. Come on. It's cold. Help me. Help me. Well, that's some fun stuff. Sometimes I I love that we had a really fun answer to that question that you have a lot on your plate. I mean, it's it's always that way. Unfortunately, it's rarely am I like I'm doing this one thing and it's very simple. It's never that way. It's true. It really isn't. Well, then life would be boring, right? Life would be really boring if that if if you were status quo, you're like, well, I just have this going on. When you got a lot going on, I mean, life's exciting at that point. You're like, okay, I can't keep everything straight. And and I still feel like at some point, even when your life's like that, you do have to take those moments, even if it's 10 minutes, and come back and step back and take, you know, like a calming 10 minutes, just sit there and vegetate <laughs> like right. uh, okay yeah, yeah. i'm back i'm back i got yeah. this <laughs> yeah yeah and actually that's 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 what like when like i said just just wrapped up this book now i have this smaller copywriting project that's going to finish up in a few weeks and then and then i have a small window where i have exactly that moment to be able to say like okay what what does this look like going forward yeah i'm so looking forward to that <laughs> well that's when you're driving up here and meeting us so we can go to jersey Right. For the strawberries, right. <laughs> All these various regions in America do have these unique foodways that are lost in a lot of places. You know, the the food or the produce that they're famous for, etc. We have people that'll say to us, because we are both born and bred, died in the world Marylanders. Uh. And people will say, Oh, you're from Maryland. And something about crab cakes. And we're like, <laughs> You know, we very rarely ate crab cakes. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that was... Speak for yourself. I ate a lot of crab cakes. Yeah, but not on the daily. It's not like making crab cakes on the daily. They were very special occasions. You know, we had more than crab cakes. We're just steamed crabs. So I was basically... I could just feed myself and I was eating steamed crab in a high chair. So she would pick it and then I would eat it and... You know, then it got to the point where you had to pick it yourself. I mean, but Maryland is known for a lot of really good stuff. I mean, not just the crabs and Old Bay, but lots of good stuff. That has to be the case with most states or most geographical regions. There are these old foodways that we've kind of forgotten. So it's, yeah, that's where the strawberry question came from. And yeah, that's a whole other tangent that has, I guess it doesn't have much to do with poultry, does it? No, but it has a good good road trip tied to it so that's good <laughs> almost as important as relating to poultry exactly this is true this is true well lisa we want to thank you for spending a really delightful hour talking with us oh for sure this has been great so much we're... fun well before we let you go lisa we're going to ask you the question we ask all of our guests totally unfair question and you can actually have more than one answer what is your favorite breed of chicken this is an unfair question um, it is. because I don't want, you know, 
here moving forward, all of the chickens I, I will take care of forevermore are going to hear this and be like, all right, look, and now everyone's going to take issue with this. But I do actually have an answer. My my favorite breed of chicken would be the Mechlin Cuckoo. Um, oh, oh, Greenfire Farm has the Mechlins. Me- they sometimes call them Mechlin turkey heads. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so these are chickens that I was introduced to when I was working on a farm in Belgium because they're from Mechlin is a city in Belgium. And so they're, you know, they're, they're from this region. I don't know. Have either of you had them or have you seen them? I've seen them. I, I and I do know the green fire farms in Florida imported them. So you can get them here in the okay. U S they look like big, they're, they're like you said, they're a cuckoo breed. They're these big, beautiful striped birds. Yes, they're gigantic. And this was like, when I was on this farm in Belgium, I remember like my first day walking out to like, go look at the gardens and whatever. And here comes like five of these giant chickens running straight for me. And I was just like, this is it. This is the end. (laughs) This is how I go. This is the end of my story. (laughs) (laughs) But they're really sweet. Because they're being like led by this so sweet so sweet but like the rooster is like 12 pounds this is like a massive amount of chicken running straight for me yeah they're they're really cool they have like feathered legs and and like you said they're striped they're really beautiful did you Um, freeze in place uh, (laughs) i think i probably just like i probably just like stopped and took as many pictures as i could thinking if this is how i go people need to know that like this is (laughs) like photographic evidence yeah I have, I mean, probably not exaggerating 200 photos of these chickens from, from being on this farm for a month. So I know this is like unconventional, not, not a typical, what you would hear for. It's one of our best answers ever to this Absolutely. question. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I mean, it's one of the most unique answers to this question. And that's why we ask every single person that comes on the show, because you never know, like, look at our faces when you said it, we're like, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, number one, I think that needs to be our breed spotlight for this episode. I do, too. Oh, nice. And number two, I think the very fact that you got to spend time in Europe seeing these European heritage breeds is just, mm. I'm envious. That's so wonderful. In the French Alps. <laughs> <laughs> Alpine chickens. Right. <laughs> well... Right now, you have the award for the most unique favorite chicken on the show ever. I think. Oh, like if we were like Excellent. the office and we gave the Dundies, that would be the award for the most <laughs> unique answer for what's your favorite chicken? The Mecklen. It would like, you know, Steve Carell would come out and be like the Dundies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now I'm going to have to listen to every episode from here on out to see like if if I'm topped. And then, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think you will be. I, I don't think so. Okay. I think the Mecklen, that's definitely the... That takes the, the Dundee. That Absolutely. takes the Dundee. Yeah, does. <laughs> well, where can our listeners find you, Lisa? Well, if they are looking for the podcast, Hobby Farms Presents Growing Good, they can go to hobbyfarms.com slash growing good. And the podcast is also available on all of the major podcasting platforms. There's an episode twice a month. And then just for me and what I'm up to, I have a website, lisa-writes.com. It's L-I-S-A-W-R-I-T-E-S. I try to keep lisa-writes.com updated about once a month, just uh, current and recent projects and, and what's going on. 
And if you need a house sitter in Kentucky right now, <laughs> it's said to Lisa. For sure. For sure. Yeah, we can I can I can throw that out there. Yeah, house sitting, farm sitting. You can find me at lisa-rights.com and uh and let's talk about it. It doesn't have to be in Kentucky. Clearly, I have traveled all over. Alaska. Alaska, Alaska. Folks, remember. This summer. For the yeah, summer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that's amazing stuff. You're so sweet. It's been so great meeting you and such a, a fun time talking this afternoon. You're a busy lady. You're really busy. I, I'm a busy lady. This was really fun. I knew it was going to be. I think, um, yeah, <laughs> I think the two of you are delightful. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. We had such a good time. I cannot wait for that Jersey road trip that we're going to go on. Strawberries galore. Absolutely. Strawberries are bust. It's both Holly and Chrissy. So great meeting you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 We just want to thank Lisa one more time for appearing on the podcast, for hosting us on the Growing Good podcast. We had a wonderful time talking to her. Go check out the Hobby Farm Presents Growing Good podcast. Lots of great resources there. We had so much fun with Lisa. She is such a sweet lady and can't wait for our road trip to New Jersey with her. Strawberries are bust. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Now, we're going to keep this, you know, like you could snack, have your bestie over, just something good after okay. dinner... Here's the thing. All this talk of strawberries made us hungry. So we're doing strawberry jam bars. <laughs> <laughs> because we're going to New Jersey with Lisa, we got to pack these in the car with us. Of course we do. Of course we do. These are easy. You can eat them for breakfast. You can take them to your besties for coffee, whatever. Kids love hey, them. Everybody out there, raise your hand if you want to go on a road trip with us in New Jersey to get some of these fantastical strawberries. I know where you can get some good birds in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the ingredients that we're going to need for our, our fantastical strawberry jam bars. We're going to need one stick of unsalted butter or dairy-free butter, melted, a half a cup of brown sugar, packed, one large egg, there's your egg, one and a half cups of flour or gluten-free flour, one and a half cups of rolled oats, a half a teaspoon of baking powder, a pinch, just a pinch of salt, a cup of strawberry jam, and a generous, now we make this really generous handful, maybe two handfuls of chocolate chips. Yes. I was a little heavy on the chocolate chips, I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, that's for I sure. I also want to make a couple of other notes. The first is that I may have used more than a cup of strawberry jam, I'm not sure. I Sometimes just, you can eyeball it and, you know, yeah. see like what looks good, you know? The other is I didn't have any rolled oats, so I used quick oats. Yeah. It was fine. They're all I mean, the same. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, it's my recipe, and I've always made these with rolled oats, but I was like, I don't have rolled oats, and I don't feel well. I'm not going to the store. Quick oats it is. It worked. It worked. These are kind of bomb-proof, really. You're going to preheat your oven to 350 and grease an 8-inch pan. Now, with a sticky bar like this, it's nice to line the pan with parchment paper or foil, something like that. I always line my pants with parchment paper because it's hard to say. So I like to say it and make 
But I always do line my pants with it because stuff comes up so much easier. Sure, you just you just lift it out and cut it that way. It's really easy. You're going to make the bottom crust first. Melt the butter in a microwave-proof bowl. Mix in the sugar completely. Then you're going to add your egg and mix until totally incorporated. This does call for a large egg. And I got to tell you, I had a rack of jumbo eggs from the Andalusians and the Barnabelders. Do you know who lays me perfectly sized large eggs every time? Who? Delilah, the Egyptian Fayumi. Oh, yeah. You can always tell when you've got yourself a large egg. That's right. It's the perfect size for baking. So, if not, you can use too small. One Egyptian Fayumi egg. Then add your flour, your oats, baking powder, and salt, and mix until combined. Take about a cup of that dough aside. Set it aside. You're going to dump the rest of it into the pan and form the crust. You're just going to press it down with your hands. Mm-hmm. Spread that with the jam. And then you're going to sprinkle on those chocolate chips. Spread that with the jam. Spread that with the jam. <laughs> we're going to make our jam on nice and smooth. We're going to make our own song. Melt the butter. Spread the jam. <laughs> sprinkle on those chocolate chips. <laughs> and say, what's I am? <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to... Crumble the remaining oat mixture over the top. Keep a light hand with that. You know, you want little crumbles so they don't clump up. Yeah, make sure you keep that hand light. Light hand on this. Bake for 30 minutes or so until the top is turning golden brown. Remove from the oven. Allow it to fully cool before you cut it. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart everywhere. Yeah. And that's it. It's delicious. And then have your bestie over and talk chickens and sing our new song. Melt the butter. Spread the jam. Sprinkle all those chocolate chips chips. with a light hand. And then say, Wazam. What is Wazam? What what does Wazam mean? I don't. It just rhymed. Okay. Wazam. Wazam. I just like to say it. I know. I've seen that. Wazam. And like you do the whole body when you say it. Like, what's that? <laughs> yes, you do over there. You're doing the whole body. <laughs> okay. So try it. You might like it. Let us know what you think. We want to hear back from you. Now it's time to move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's retail therapy. I don't know. Is this too soon to talk about this for retail therapy? I don't know. We'll too see. Soon. We'll see. Are you we ever get... worried about something being too soon? We're, we were, but it might be too soon. We have to see how we go with this. Okay. So we're talking vintage Williams Sonoma chicken stuff. Is it too soon? I don't know. Only Holly Ann will know. Well, considering the fact that I don't even use placemats, no, it's not too soon. <laughs> it's fine. So a little intro into Williams Sonoma history in 1956. Chuck Williams opened a store in Sonoma, California. He sold French cooking tools and tableware, which at that time was pretty much an untapped market in the U.S. Omelet pans, chef's knives, and copper cookware were some of his earliest offerings. He later relocated the store to San Francisco. That was about the 1970s. And in the same decade, he added the gorgeous Williams Sonoma catalog for nationwide sales. And before long, there were Williams Sonoma stores all over the country. Let's talk for a second because in our day and age, the catalog was the way to go. Oh, now, yeah. 
I mean, I still get a little excited when I get the mail and there's some catalogs in there. I'm like, ooh, it's like you get to sit down and read and thumb through the catalogs. Meanwhile, I could do that on my laptop like every single day of the week. But there's something about that catalog because we grew up getting the Sears and Robux catalogs and the JCPenney catalogs that would come. And we would sit there and make our Christmas list up from the catalog. And this is the way that you used to have to get through the United States to sell your stuff. And that's how he did it. I love me a Williamson Emma catalog. Oh, yeah. Now, we just got really excited because we both, it was funny because we both said it at the same time the other day on the phone. Did you get your Emma Bridgewater catalog? So, yes, we still get excited. But I think that that's something that will excite us forever because we lived it. Right. Now, over the years, Williamson Emma has offered a lot. We are talking a lot of chicken and poultry-themed kitchenware. A ton. A ton. Including china and servingware, linens and textiles, and more of that. And placemats. A lot of this is French and Italian, which are, you know, cultures where decorative poultry pieces are show up in the kitchen all the time. Yeah. Now, onto the vintage stuff. There are a ton of Williams-Sonoma collectibles on the market, and you can find them at pretty much all price points. You can, and you can find them in the wild, and when you do, you're doing the happy dance. (laughs) It's so much stuff, too. It's anything from salt and pepper shakers, napkins, pitchers, up to full sets of china. To placemats. Placemats, too. You can also find vintage tools for egg cooking. So things like egg coddlers, egg cups, souffle pans, all of those kinds of things. They have everything. And, you know, it's not good on my part or your part because there's a Williams-Sonoma store right in Towson. I know. I know. I could go in there all the time. And their stuff is so high quality. I love it. I love the way it looks. It lasts. My, My giant cobalt blue stand mixer I bought in the Williams-Sonoma store in Towson over 20 years ago. It was one of the first major purchases I made for myself. You know, when I got a real job, when I got a full-time job out of college, I was oh, yeah. in there with my sisters and I turned around. And at that time, I think they were selling for like five or $600 yeah. for the big stand mixers. So when I overlooked at it, it was the scratch and dent model, 300 and something. She went home with me. You were like, hmm, I don't have to think twice about this. This, nah, this one's going home. I love that mixer. It's one of those stores that reminds you somewhat of a mini destination store. When you go in, it has that feel to it that you Mm -hmm. want to browse. You want to look at the stuff. You want to take some stuff home. And it's notable when you go to thrift stores, you're going to see it. Look in the wood section. Look everywhere because you're going to find something of Williams-Sonoma. I got, and there's only one of them, but I bought it anyway because it was so pretty. It was a green tweel linen napkin. And it was a couple, you know, they're usually like couples in the French countryside. Yeah, exactly. With chickens and a goose. Yeah. But it was only one napkin, but I got it anyway because it was a dollar and it was pretty. Sometimes when I set the dining room table for, you know, either I'll do it for fun because I'm bored and I want to do a beautiful table setting or I want to seem fancy, you know. I don't have time to be bored. I don't have time to be bored. Me either. But, you know, that's why I haven't done it in a while. But when I'm bored, (laughs) have you seen it done? It's not done right now. No, but there's a lot of chicken on that table right now. I love to set the table and take pictures of it because it looks so beautiful. And I Mm -hmm. love the pictures. And I like using 
one different napkin for each place setting. I think it has a very nice eclectic look to it. And yeah. it's stuff. part of finding stuff in the wild and doing stuff all that. It does not stuff. have to be matchy matchy. It doesn't. And if you find something in the wild, get it. Because trust me, I've been watching all these reels lately. There are so many people out there finding in the wild and reselling to you on eBay and Etsy right. and making huge profits. So if you see it in the wild, grab it. Nab it fast. Definitely. Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are spotlighting the waterfowl, little waterfowl love. Yes, we are. One of the most popular duck breeds of all time, the Indian runner duck. They're running. They're running. Main topic, Lisa Steele is joining us, and she's going to be answering all kinds of questions about the deep litter method and fermenting feed. Can't wait to welcome Lisa back. Because it's our Valentine's Day episode, Cracking the Eggs is heart-shaped mini chocolate cakes. To make for your baby. Your baby. And maybe one will fall in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said, man. And Reach Out Therapy, we are talking Valentine's Day gifts for chicken lovers. What does your chicken lady want for Valentine's Day? And if you don't have a gift and it's the sixth and you're just listening to this, you better go get her some chicks. You better I show her. I suggest, like if it's last minute and you don't have anything, go online and buy her a gift card to Murray McMurray. Yeah, gift card to McMurray Hatchery and you are set. Set, that's it. That's mega points right there. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.